This is the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast, and I am Mike Riccio, longtime personal trainer, professional strength coach, gym owner, and most importantly, a devoted modern father and husband. I've been fortunate to learn under some of the most intelligent minds in health and fitness over the past 15 years, as well as work with amazing clients and athletes. What I've most fallen in love with over the years is the power we have over our lives, the power to decrease risk of disease and injury, the power to reach our true potential, the deep abilities the body is capable of when all aspects of health are working simultaneously. On this podcast, you will learn the importance of preventative health and how to optimize your habits to optimize your life. Today, I sit with Ryan Chen, co-owner and founder of Neuro. You may remember a few weeks ago when I had Ryan's co-owner and co-founder, Kent, on, and we talked a lot about neuroscience and cognitive functioning, and we talked a lot about their products, which are energy-based and focus-based mints and gums, um, along with now some really cool new products. And while Ryan and I do get into that a little bit today, the real focus I wanted for today was more Ryan's personal story. Ryan is such a motivation. At the age of 19, he goes through a traumatic event that leaves him paralyzed from the waist down. Ryan then takes this tragedy and, and uses this optimistic attitude that he always has and he just continues living such a fulfilled life. So today we talk about how he goes from the accident into staying so active, including once again skiing, which is how he got hurt in the first place, and scuba diving and starting a business and just doing all the traveling and great stuff he's doing now. And again, this is, this is a must listen for anybody because we all go through events in our lives that we believe that maybe we can't rebound from or that are a big challenge, loss of loved ones, loss of jobs, you know, whatever the example might be. And Ryan is someone that, that everyone should know and everyone should have an opportunity to, to speak with because uh, it, it was really a life changer for me. This was a great conversation and I'm looking forward to everyone hearing it. With that being said, go ahead and listen in and uh, please remember to rate and review when you are done and let me know what you think. All right, Ryan, thank you so much for being on today, man. Mike, thanks for having me. So uh, I'd like to, to kick it off with just a little little background on you. Obviously, I had the, the honor of having your close friend and business partner, Kent, on a few weeks ago. Yeah, um, follow. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's, uh, you guys are both really, really impressive guys. Uh, I'm, I'm very lucky for our connection, which we were just which speaking about, which, and she's going to be on also. So I can't wait uh, to hear this out. Yeah. Yeah. Give her my best. I definitely will. Yeah. So it was more on that later, but um, if you'd like to start off by just giving a little, little background on you. Yeah. I mean, my name is Ryan Chen. I'm one of the co-founders of Neuro. Uh, we make a functional gum and mint company that is designed to really enhance your day-to-day. You know, we, we started on this journey about five years ago, but before that, Kent and I, who's my business partner, was one of my best friends. And just a quick background, born and raised in here in LA, lived uh, in Tokyo for five years, had an incredible childhood, got to see a lot of different parts of the world. And and my parents were great in that they emphasized sports and athletics pretty evenly, but sports and athletics and academics, actually. So that was pretty even emphasis, which is kind of rare, you know, I think for that old school Asian household, but I, I was, I was going <laughs> to have my parents be pretty balanced. Very cool. I thought it was interesting. And maybe this is, maybe this is a little naive in my part. In your bio, you said that you, your parents are both Chinese, but they grew up in Japan. Yeah. It's actually pretty rare. Um, so my, both my parents were born and raised in Japan. My mom's side, they had fled like communist China. 
they settled in like what is like today, like Chinatown in Japan. And, and they were kind of in the hospitality business. My dad's side of the family had settled also for like communist China and then settled in Japan. And he was uh, kind of a liaison between the Taiwanese government and Japan. So my dad and his two brothers were born and raised there and went to an American school actually growing up. So it's very different backgrounds, different reasons why they were there or how they got there. But yeah, we, we share like a pretty special bond with Japan, like culturally, even though ethnically I'm Chinese and culturally I'm American too. Important. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, yeah, I've seen how often you root for uh, all the LA teams. So obviously yeah. there's... <laughs> yeah, the love for LA is real. And speaking of this year, like Lakers and Dodgers winning, it's like, it's only happened once ever. And that was 1988 and Dodgers and, and Lakers with right. Nigel Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. It's pretty crazy. Uh, I mean, Ryan, I'm from Chicago where I can't get one team to win, let alone two. <laughs> so so I'm I'm very jealous of your experience this year. Are you a Cubs fan? Are you White Sox? I am I am a Sox fan. I'm a north side living Sox fan, which is also probably about as rare as uh as your parents living in Japan here in yeah. Chicago. It doesn't happen very often. But yeah, I like to say that I learned from my parents' mistakes. You know, they were Cubs fans and I, I learned better. So <laughs> which, which which will upset a lot of my Chicago listeners. And you also said that your mom really, uh, there was a big music push too, but athletics was really more of your your passion, would you say? Yeah, so my mom, you know, grew up playing piano. Basically, most Asian families, parents try to force their kids at a young age to do music. Fortunately for Kent, like he, he excelled at that. And, and, you know, he still plays music to this day. But for me, it was like piano and then violin. And then I think come fifth grade, yeah, it was like a clear distinction that like there was something that I was being forced to do versus something I really enjoyed doing. And, you know, my parents let me ride with it. So uh, for me, that was kendo, which is a Japanese martial art. And it's based on like the form of like the samurai. It's using like bamboo sword and, and there's like four points of entry where you can hit. But it was a really dynamic and fluid sport. And, you know, had the beauty of art, martial arts, the, the Zen components to it, the the, the respect for elders. Just so many of the components and the beauty that you know come along with martial arts. So I was um, was glad that my 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 mom like pushed me to do that. Yeah, very cool. Well, it sounds like they just they kind of push you to a lot of great things, and then you had some freedom to choose, mm-hmm. you know, kind of kind of your path from there. Yeah. So do you do you visit both Japan and China? Do you like have you growing up in Japan being Chinese? Would you say mm-hmm. have you do you have an equal interest in kind of both of the cultural backgrounds? I think I have an interest in it, but I would identify more as with Japanese culture. I've been in China like only a handful of times, but you know, I lived in Japan for five years. I grew up going there every summer as a kid. My mom still out actually lives out there. So uh, when I was from 10 to 15, from 2000 to 2005, lived out there with my mom, then moved back to finish up high school and my mom stayed. And so she comes out here like once a year to visit my sister and I, we're we're over here spread out in LA, but yeah, like Chinese culture. I can't speak the language for Japanese. I can speak it. I'm really comfortable with like, you know, visiting my mom and my mom's side of the family is all in Japan. Okay, very cool. Are you Italian? Like, what's I your- am. Yeah, I'm Italian. Uh, guess off your last name. So I was like, I hope I'm right. <laughs> uh, it's a pretty, yeah, it's a pretty easy guess, I guess. Yeah, my dad is, my dad was uh, 100% Italian. And my mom is a little more mixed. So I, I've got some other, but growing up though, it was it was all Italian. My dad's side is very authentically, my grandparents were born and raised and didn't come to the States until much later in life. From, yeah. from what part of the country? Calabria, which is a, um, a Southern farm town, a central mm-hmm. Southern farm town. 
Yeah. So we really grew up very, my cousins and I grew up very authentically Italian. They, uh, they grew up two houses down from me. My grandparents were two houses down from them. So that's the best though. You keep the family close together. <laughs> yeah, I really did. I had six parents growing up. That's really what it was, what it was like. We were, I was never, I don't think I was alone until I went to college. You know, it was just that kind of, that kind of tight knit family upbringing. Amazing. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I loved it. I really did. I enjoyed it. So, so going back to your activities, you know, obviously, and, and one of the, there's a lot of impressive things about you. When I go, when I follow you on social media, I see, you know, the business starting and there, there's a lot, but you know, one of the, one of the main things I've been so I guess curious and impressed by was your ability to take a very serious situation that you were through mm-hmm. and to, and it's one that I can't possibly fully understand. You know, I can try to, but I can't. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you grow up in this world of athletics and then obviously get into to snowboarding at one point and then you have an accident. I'd kind of like, to, if, if you don't mind, I'd like kind of start with you, maybe just talking about, you know, telling people what happened, what the accident was and, mm-hmm. um, and maybe we can take it from there. Yeah, I mean, I I got introduced to skiing when I was pretty young. I want to say six or seven out in Japan, and you know, fell in love with that, and then transitioned to snowboarding like every you know teenage kid wants to do when they're like 13, 14, and you know, grew up like here going to LA. It's like Mammoth, Big Bear, that that area. Yeah, I fell in love with it. And 2009, I was a sophomore in college, and I was 19 years old, and we were there for a birthday party, and I was going off a really big jump, about 35 feet. It's a whiteout storm. You know, it was a mistake on my part to to attempt it, but you know, it was a freak accident. I landed on my back and shattered my T9 vertebrae and was instantly paralyzed. And, you know, it was like one of those like situations where like I look up and everything's white because of the storm. And then I realized something's seriously wrong. I couldn't, I couldn't feel my legs. I couldn't get up. There was nobody else on the park. Uh, luckily, you know, my, my ex-girlfriend at the time was behind me. So she, she saw it and ran to get help at ski patrol but um that whole time from the time of my accident till i got into you know trauma one surgery was about eight hours usually with trauma with spinal cord injury or brain injury they try to airlift you out because it's time is of essence it's really crucial mm-hmm. to get in as soon as possible but because of the whiteout storm there was a it was endangering the pilot so we had to be ambulance down to lake arrowhead lake arrowhead confirmed with spinal cord injury then took the loma linda but man, yeah, like unpacking just that emotional roller coaster at first, not believing quite what they were saying and saying, you know, how serious it was. I, you know, in the back of my mind, I was like, you know, it's going to be okay. I'm going to walk out of this. And, you know, you wake up two weeks later, uh, tubes everywhere, metal rods and screws in your back, stabilize your spine. And it, it wakes you up to a different reality. And I think, I mean, the first, I wouldn't say six months, I was very optimistic in that. Oh no, like, you know, things are going to come back. It's, you know, I'm going to walk out of this hospital. And as like reality starts to sink in, I realized like how it impacted everybody around me. I think a lot of people realized the severity. And then I try to keep this optimistic attitude. But, you know, my mom moved from Japan to America for about a year. My parents were split and they like, you know, came together as a team. To, like, what can we do? Because this is the best thing for Ryan. And, you know, my best friends, Kent being one of them, came to visit me all the time, you know, amazing friends that like helped me during like the worst period of my life but yeah i'm fortunate to be here and i think all in all it's taught me a lot about life in general the fragility of it the spontaneity of it and and all in all just like an appreciation for life that i don't think i would have had till much later in life 
Yeah. It, well, and again, I, I can't imagine where, where were you? Where was, where the accident take place? Yeah. It was in February over in big bear. So it was, uh, okay. you know, closer mountain range here in LA, uh, for the, okay. familiar with the LA area, but, um, yeah, it was like a place I grew up going to, uh, like in the winters and the summers, it's a beautiful lake. Yeah. It, yeah. It was a freak accident. It was like literally in a blink of an eye, everything changed. And so like one moment, like, you know, a moment I was, snowboarding down the mountain running and the next moment i'm like i'm in the hospital for for months and months and trying to rehab trying to like sit up and learn new balance learn how to like you know transfer into a car <laughs> like little basic things that you would have never thought about as like a 19 year old yeah yeah and, and you, you mentioned that your your ex at the time had to go get help i mean how long are you there between the accident and actually like finally seeing someone come to help you I want to say not too long, maybe 15, 20 minutes. They're pretty oh, okay. quick. Yeah, it came down pretty quick. But the time to go from ambulance to ambulance, getting transferred into x-rays, MRIs, CAT scans, all that stuff yeah. took some time. But all in all, like eight hours. I mean, I got to imagine that 15 to 20 minutes even has to seem like a long time when you're yeah. feeling, well, not, you know, feeling what you're feeling and curious about what happened. And I mean, just the adrenaline rush, you know, kept me kept me up. I, I think I was worried. Maybe did I hit my head? Like, I don't know. It, it was like so cold and, and numbing and, you know, I had enough adrenaline, like get me through all the way to like the moment of surgery. But every moment that was ticking by, I was like trying to remember everything, trying to piece together like the amb like the EMT at the time in the ambulance was, you know, like, trying to lift up my spirits and, and he was like telling jokes. And I, I just remember like yeah. being in the hospital and I was like, man, this is like probably very serious, but in the moment, I just try to be like, present, make sure I wasn't falling asleep in case I had a concussion or anything like that. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned the word denial, you know, in, in the, in the pre outline. Yeah. I, I mean, how can you not, right? You have to imagine that, like, I mean, I remember thinking that when my, when my dad passed, like this kind of stuff, you hear about stuff, but like this has, you know, yeah. this isn't actually happening. You know, mm-hmm. you said that lasted for quite a while, huh? That the kind of that denial period. I think it's like me being like, hopelessly also i'm just like an optimist in general i, I think you yeah. have to be like yourself when you started up your gym and, and you're starting up a business you have to be optimistic like it's good to be a realist but you have to have a sense of optimism to be able to take that leap of faith and for me i always was an optimistic kind of happy-go-lucky kid and i always try to believe that there would be you know you know that the situation as grim as it was was going to have some sliver of hope and yeah, I think that denial took over for, for quite some time. But it was also this denial that gave me kind of the courage to go day by day because it's like, oh, I'm going to crush it in rehab. I'm going to crush it like trying to train because like I know this is like not going to be permanent. And as the reality sinks in, you kind of get to the point where like, you know what, I've lived my life up to this point. I've improved all the stuff. I've gotten to learn how to drive a car again, you know, went back to school. There's like little goals that in, in a way denial could kind of help you propel yourself to a place that you might not be able to envision in the moment. So, you know, I, I love that because that's in a way that's something maybe some people in more everyday situations, maybe need some more. Of. <laughs> I think yeah. <laughs> denial and being stubborn actually kind of can help you sometimes by just pure grit and just like putting your head down and just doing the work. And for me, that work was, showing up to rehab every day, being optimistic of learning how to do like this adjustment in life, learning how to stay positive. And I think in a weird way, they're like, you know, yin and yang to each other. I, well, and I, and I, could, I couldn't agree more. And again, I, 
I think people might need more of that in, in everyday situations. I think sometimes the ability to not that, not that you didn't worry, but to not get too far ahead and say, I'm just going to crush today. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to crush today. To yeah. And okay. see where it goes. You know, my Ryan, my business partner and I, you know, we, we've talked a lot over the past few years of building this business of how we're, we're a pretty good yin and yang where I'm probably more like you, where I'm more kind of put my head down and just get today and, and tomorrow I'll get tomorrow and let yeah. go. And Ryan is very good at looking ahead and saying, okay, well, what can go wrong? How can we plan against it? And, you know, both it's worked really well because, you know, my kind of drive going forward and Ryan's being able to, to really kind of plan things has been yeah. good for us. But if I, if I relate to what you're going through a little bit to like the fitness side of things, I could, I can see where a little bit of denial about the severity of like a goal or how hard goals are mm -hmm. might be a good thing. Cause then maybe people would focus more on just, well, it is not hard. I'm going to, it's yeah. going to happen anyway. So I'm just going to focus on today and work hard and, and kind of see where it goes. Yeah. There's that like old Chinese proverb is like, like a journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. And I think I love that for me, like if I thought too far into the future, I would get so overwhelmed with this emotion of like, how could I possibly get a job in a wheelchair? Or how can I possibly, you know, meet new people? Like, what are they going to think of me? It's just, it becomes so overwhelming. So you just have to do it in that day. Yeah. And slowly but surely you kind of look back in the rearview mirror and, and you kind of see how much ground you've covered. And, you know, that first two years was really tough. Like that first six months was denial, but then that year and a half was just like, oh man, I don't know if I can do this. Like, I don't know if I want to do this. Like, what's the point? And, you go through those emotional like roller coasters and and it really challenges you i think as a person because i've never had those thoughts before for me it was like yeah having a bad day was like never that bad but having a bad day for me was like having a lot of like physical pain from like you know the nerve nerve pain and the nerve damage the back pain let alone the physical pain it was like the emotional pain of like how do i get through this how are people going to interact with me or people going to feel bad for me i didn't want any of that i didn't want to seek any pity and then the mental pain of like, okay, like what's my future going to be like? Am I going to be able to be dad? Can I have kids? Like there's so many emotions that run through your head. And while you're living it day by day, you kind of slowly get answers to your own questions and things start to clear up. And I think that optimist in me is like, you know, it's not the end of the world. Like I, I'm, I'm still here. So it could have been way worse if I wasn't here. Then none of those things or those trials and tribulations are even options because I'm not around. And just the fact that like I was still here and you know I could still be independent, I think my parents are just like very happy that I made it through that. And I think now, you know, looking back like almost eleven years, almost coming on twelve, it's it's pretty wild. It's kind of an emotion. It's definitely an emotional roller coaster. Well, I like to step back to that acceptance phase because that was my next question. At what point, you know, do you remember? Was there a point where you're like, okay, denial is over. This definitely is what it is. And when did you start saying like, okay, what can't now? What can I accomplish now? Instead of planning to hope that this is going to not be the truth, now yeah. when did you start like goal setting for like? Because obviously, you know, and we're gonna get into what all you've accomplished since then, the activities you do, and again, man, I I, I love looking at your social media. <laughs> when did that happen? I would not say it's like an overnight thing because it was like the first year and a half. It's like you know, friends would come visit me. I didn't have a means to kind of get out there. I needed a car and then start driving again. And then going on road trips with like my best friend Marcus, like we were sneaking into music festivals. He created this incredible documentary called No Cameras Allowed that sold to MTV about sneaking into music festivals. And he ended up touring with Coldplay, Mumford and Sons, Elton John, just like the list goes on. 
he started to take awesome. me out on these adventures and it gave me a little bit of confidence of like, you know what, like I can still travel and I can still have like a lot of fun and I can do things that other people can't even dream about doing. And how bit different, it's like, there's just two, there's different ways to do things. And that was like a slow boost of confidence and then getting my first job at a, like graduating was another one. So, you know, I graduated on time with like all my friends. So I still graduated with my degree. And then I stayed another year and a half to finish chemistry. I majored in econ and, you know, just being able to finish the right amount of classes to get the degree, like was my win. So it was level setting in the sense that, you know, my dad said it really well. I had, you know, I was like, dad, how do you define success? And what does success mean to you? And he said that, you know, Ryan success is it's a moving goalpost and it's always different depending on like where you are in life. And he just told me this recently. He was like, for you, like success when you first got hurt was like how high you can bounce from rock bottom. And he said that after you were super down and you didn't know if you can, if you could keep going, if you didn't know if you could live like this, he was like, for you, that was rock bottom. So anything above that in terms of like outlook or perspective is already an accomplishment. That's already success. And he was like, look at how fucking high you bounced back from rock bottom, like yeah. to where I am now. And, and I look back on that thing and it's like, that's definitely how I, I view it. It's like success is just a moving goalpost. And for me, it was like, you know, finishing college and getting a job. And I got an incredible job at Hulu, which is still like an like fast growing startup at the time. It was like a couple hundred people to like the company that is now, and, you know, solidifying like this business with Kent and knowing that friendship comes way before any of this stuff in business and starting a company that was just an idea that was like a side hustle that grew into like a legitimate, like, it's still a baby startup, but it, you know, it's far from where it came as just as an idea. So little wins like that and the goalpost keeps moving. And for me, it was not an overnight thing of like, I've made it. I look back on it every now and then I'm like, oh, you know, there's, there's not a day that goes by. I'm like, oh, I wish I could do this a little bit easier. If like, you know, if I walked, that wouldn't have been a problem. Like, I just don't think about it as often. Like in the very beginning, like a year, two years, it's like all I could think about is like, when is there going to be a cure? Or like, when can I maybe walk again? And I didn't want to spend the rest of my life waiting for something or waiting for a cure and like watching my life go by. I wanted to live my life to the fullest and have people way smarter than me develop technologies or science that can help breakthroughs within stem cell research or like robotics. And, you know, I'm going to live my life while, you know, things are going on in the background. And that to me, that was like how I kept pushing myself. It was not a overnight thing it was like small wins and celebrating those small wins yeah well and this this might be bouncing around a little bit but speaking of walking again there's a video of you yeah yeah so there's a video of you with a it's a robotic yeah. suit you can describe better than i can taking steps yeah. and i've watched that video yeah can you walk people through that um how first of all how yeah. did that how did that opportunity come up what is the technology yeah walk, walk me through all yeah that. i'll start off the, the company's called rewalk and it's an exoskeleton. It was designed by Dr. Amit Goff. Uh, he's a Israeli genius scientist. I actually got to meet him through Lizzie and like the whole Forbes community. Okay. So the Forbes 30 under 30 um, event in 2019 was in Israel. And me, Kent, and two of my buddies, Matt and Michael, flew out there and just like had an amazing time. And before we went, one of my friends was like, you have to meet Dr. Amit. I was like, who's that? And he's like, he's the founder of Rewalk. And he's created a bunch of, I think he was like in his twenties when he sold his first company to this massive biotech company. And he was just a serial entrepreneur. He got injured in an accident. And while he was in the hospital, he met another Israeli soldier who was paralyzed. 
And he was like, I'm going to create a technology that's going to help you walk. And he was a, he was a quadriplegic. So he couldn't use, he can't use that rewalk technology. And then since then he's created a, a standing movable all-terrain wheelchair that quadriplegics can use, but he created the rewalk after being inspired, knowing that he can, the technology that exists now could, you know, be beneficial. So I got to meet the guy in the flesh is like incredible man. And we had lunch together, tried out the technology or the, the, the movable wheelchair. And then I got to try the actual rewalk for the first time in the hospital in Pomona. And what's crazy is that that same hospital in Pomona was where I did my rehab in 2009. So it was like this crazy full circle. And Kent was there with me. Marcus was one of my best friends. I mentioned road tripping with and one of my best friends from high school. And then uh, Matt was another close friend of mine. And they got to see me like kind of take a first step and kind of learn this program. It's, it's almost, yeah, it's almost surreal. It's like you have full control to some, to some extent, but you just can see the potential. You can see how science has progressed so much in the last, you know, even a few years, um, let alone like this company that I think was started about 10 years ago. But it's, it's incredible. It's super inspiring. I have nothing but amazing things to say about Dr. Meat and all the stuff that he's done for the spinal fluid injury community. And now what's really cool is that they're building a, a lighter exoskeleton that's like more like soft base that helps people with stroke stroke because when you have stroke it's usually paralyzes one side of the body so like having normal gait or normal function is difficult so this exoskeleton is going to help kind of normalize that like through rehab and everything so they're doing some really cool stuff it's called rewalk could you see yourself using technology one day to kind of permanently be uh, on your feet like in the video or i think i think that right now it's 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 pretty limiting in the fact that it's not as fast and you know, it's, it's, it's great exercise. It's for the functions incredible. I think it's only, it's the thing is it's only going to get better. It's not going to, it's not going to regress the progress. Sure. Is unbelievable. So I know that within my lifetime, there's going to be a combination of a cure through like stem cell research or robotics or some type of like neural link that maybe you know Elon's working on, but yeah. uh, I'm very optimistic. And for me, I think I'm just comfortable enough to where, you know, the, I'm really fast in the wheelchair, like, yeah, I'm really quick. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, just by nature, wheels are faster than like running, you know, like you can just move really quick and cover a lot of ground. So in terms of the pace of my life and, the, and my lifestyle, like I'm moving pretty quick. So this is great. But in terms of practicality, I think it's just right around the corner. I don't know if it's cool. a couple years from now or five years from now for me to use every day. But um, I know people who are using it every day and they use a wheelchair like minimally and they're the same injury as me. So it's something that I'm like looking forward to, to just like keeping my finger on the pulse on and then seeing how it progresses. But I would love to have one of those, you know, for daily use. It'd be pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very cool. Well, I'm not surprised that you're faster than the machine though, because I see how active you are. <laughs> so going back, you're so active. You've, I, I see nothing but activities, you know, I, on, on your pages. I think that's <laughs> <laughs> still trying to keep up. Yeah. Well, I guess so that's the question. Was there ever a fear of being at, you know, active again? You know, an activity oh, for sure. push where you are. So so how do you go from that fear then into mm-hmm. scuba diving and, you know, the some of the Paralympic stuff? And you know, if you yeah. know, how do you get to that? I think what what's interesting is it, it just like when you said were was there a moment you were afraid to try it again? Like I think there was a moment of me trying it again because I knew that 
there's a part of me that if I did it, I might love it too much. And then, or another time where I might be like, it's not the same and I might be comparing it. So after my injury, I think it took about five years till I started skiing again. And I started mono skiing. Hmm. I started wheelchair racing and hand cycling actually pretty shortly after I got hurt, but I did it. It took me probably about two years. So like, it was like, kind of like really had my feet on the ground in terms of like getting school done and all that stuff. But, uh, when I started doing it, I fell in love with it. Skiing was like one of those feelings, like it was really therapeutic to get back onto the slope, ski again, fall, but get back up and then like nail it after, you know, you know, a couple of days and, and like having a proper trainer and with hand cycling race chair, you know, I threw myself in the deep end and, and wanted to do long distance and endurance. And one of my goals was always to run a marathon and, you know, I couldn't run a marathon, but I, I crushed the marathon and hand cycling faster time than I could have ever done running like you know yeah. so one of those things where like I said it you can still accomplish the same thing it's just different and for me there was a moment of hesitation because I didn't know how that would feel or how how I would take it emotionally and as, as soon as you do it the first thing that comes to mind is like why didn't I do it sooner and I think that's for most people sure whether it's like starting a business or taking that leap of faith to go to you know move to different city that they've always been planning to do and as soon as they get there i mean you lose that side of regret it's mostly like oh man why didn't i do this sooner and it's always that you know hesitation and i definitely had that hesitation for a bit and as soon as i got through it there's a kind of no looking back yeah and now you're doing it all you know and uh, scuba diving which is something that yeah. what you said even led okay. and ken told the same story it you know it was well, at least it was on a scuba diving trip right that you you guys started talking about your business idea yeah it's something i fell in love with so you know, how often do you still dive often? Do you, um, you know, kind of where, where did that passion come in? So it was like a curiosity for adventure. I mean, Kent and I, we got certified together in 2013. None of us, I mean, we weren't scuba dive before, but it just sounded cool. We're like, man, yeah. 70% of the world is ocean and water. Like, I mean, if we have this diving, it's like, we can kind of discover a lot more. It was just like, that was like the rationale. And yeah, we were both pretty, this was before I had my full-time job at Hulu. Uh, you know, I think Kent was like living on my couch at the time. We barely had any money, but we scraped together what we had to get the certification. And I think we got off like some Groupon deal or something, but um, <laughs> best decision of our lives because what, you know, Kent was taking before in terms of these like energy supplements, we were taking it in pill form. And it was really at that trip where we, were, we realized that taking pills in public was stigmatized. It's hard to share. You know, people are active. People want to have something that, you know, is portable. Like what if we can take these things that sit in pill form and make it, like accessible like gum and mints and so i mean beyond the fact that we got to dive all around the world like that trip really helped us you know figure out that there needed to be a better way to take supplementation and that was kind of really the birth of the idea for neuro without knowing that the pill form was like version zero of neuro gum it was like the formulation was the same it was just changing the form factor but yeah i mean since i mean since getting certified you know can't i just wear mexico in September, we celebrated our five-year anniversary for Neurogum down in Puerto Vallarta, and we went diving out there. And exactly almost a year ago, we were in Cabo, we went whale shark diving, and we were we went scuba diving at this pretty cool reef on the other side of Cabo. And like, La was it La Paz? Somewhere. But we, we have some pretty cool footage and, and great memories uh, going down there. So it's a passion that, you know, we would love to do more, but we try to get out there a few times a year. Very cool. Well, you'll have to keep a running list for me. You know, I, my father-in-law scuba dives and he got me into it. Oh, amazing. And uh, well, I guess I get into it because I do love it, 
but so far I, I did dive off of uh, Turks and Caicos and that was oh. and that was really cool but that's other than that it's been you know the Gulf of Mexico here in the states which is very foggy to say the least yeah no, just, and uh, <laughs> no it's terrible yeah and then uh, and then where I certify you know here in Illinois you're not you know it's off a rock quarry so you're not you're not doing a lot yeah. of big big dive in here um, in, in the Midwest. But uh, so it's it's some that I it, now I have young kids so you know that was a lot of reasons right now where I'm not traveling and leaving them very often but um but at some point that's that's the goal is to very is to get to some of these places that you've listed too like if I ever have kids one day like I would love to get them certified at an earlier age yeah. and have them fall in love with it I think it's a great life activity yeah well mine are mine are one and three so I'm a little oh, you got you got a long time. <laughs> I got I got a little time, yeah. Um, I do. My stepdaughter's ten, and uh, so far she hasn't shown interest. But uh, I'm hoping she, she she gets the bug at some point, yeah. Because I think it'd be fun to to do something. Yeah. But um, yeah, very cool, man. So now and now Neurogum is you know you guys have just released some really cool products, which obviously Kent talked a lot. You know, for listeners that didn't hear that episode, go back and listen, please, because Kent is, you know, we we Kent's I don't know if you heard the human being. Oh <laughs> uh, well, and, and he I don't know if you listened to that episode, but him and I share a passion for just neurology, so we really really kind of dug into the science of it. But you guys have just released a couple of new products. Calm is the one that I'm. It's on the way. I'm dying to try it. Excited, yeah. We want. We can't wait for like more people to try it. But uh, yeah, it was like first five years. You know, it was all about the energy focused product, and you know, we we wanted like we were saying it's like take supplementation and put it in your pocket and like common clarity is the yin and yang to energy and focus. It's really not a sleepy time product, but it's mm-hmm. something that kind of takes the edge off. It's all proven ingredients to help reduce stress and anxiety. It's GABA, L-theanine, D3. I'm sure Kent like nerded out a little about it, <laughs> but uh, we're super proud of the product. You know, like it's taken us over like 14 months to R and D it, try different types of flavoring and samples and, to finally get it out there, we're just super proud of it. Yeah, I bet, and and I, it looks like it's it's gained in popularity fast. I guess I see a lot of you know, people trying it and getting it. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to try it. Yeah, we just announced our JetBlue partnership today. We we did about I saw that hundred thousand units for JetBlue uh, on their amenity kits um, for their like awake package. So people flying like red eye or jet lag type flights, they'll be getting a pack of NeuroGum or NeuroMint. Sorry, to like kind of like give them a little boost of energy. So it was a really cool partnership. I think we just, we just announced it today, but yeah, that was a long, that was a long partnership in the making. Very cool. And I, I did see that announcement and uh, I didn't know if I was allowed to ask you about it yet, but uh, yeah. what a, what a huge, very, very cool. What a huge get I'm assuming. Yeah. So it was, so what's next for neuro? You know, I, I, cause I yeah. love the idea. I love the healthiness of it. You know, I love that. And this is what, this is what Kent and I got into a lot. You know, where do you guys see this, this company going? Yeah. Um, so first couple of years was like all e-commerce, but you know, we're, we're taking that rounding that corner that we could really hit big retail. We got nationwide whole foods. I mean, 500 awesome. stores, which is like the, you know, the Holy grail of kind of grocery. Cause it took 14 months to get that account. <laughs> There's a lot of testing. I have yeah. a huge appreciation. I, before I, I would go into whole foods, I was like, Oh, this is great. You know, but <laughs> now that every product I know gets vetted like that, it's, it, it's eye opening. So we'll be in 500 Whole Foods. We're working hard on getting Walmart Target. We have active vendor numbers with them. I mean, the real goal is this could be a national brand. You can pick it up at your local gas station. You can get it at your your local gym, or you can get it at like a big pharmacy like CVS or like a Whole Foods. We kind of want to be everywhere. 
and similar to like how Red Bull kind of created the energy drink market, Fiber Energy created the uh, energy shop market. We want to create this functional confectioning market, you know, a fraction of the cost, healthier, no sugar, mm-hmm. uh, natural, you know, flavors, you know, active ingredients that we're sourcing the best of the best. And so, you know, we're, we're in it for the long haul, you know, you know, Kent and I didn't set out to, to make a quick buck and, you know, sell a product that we didn't believe in. This is like, definitely, this is our lifestyle. You know, we're both active people. We still, I can't just did like, you know, hunt like a two thirds of an Ironman, like last weekend, just picked up his nice. brand new puppy. Like he's just always on the go. And, and, you know, our products that we make really try to fit that lifestyle. Yeah. So, you know, we our, our dream and our goal is to have this product as accessible to as many people as possible. I love that it's something you guys truly believe in, you know, and not, not that other entrepreneurs don't, but um, oh, yeah, of course, they're just such most, a clear most entrepreneurs are, you know, they live and die by their product. You know, they, they have so much yeah. conviction and belief and, and that's really kind of what helps motivate us. Yeah. Well, and, but you're, you're also right though, to kind of, you know, there, I'm sure there are some that, you know, that come in seeing entrepreneurship as this pure moneymaker and, mm-hmm. and, and as someone that is brand new <laughs> to starting a business, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm really, not that that's why I started either, but you know, you really are learning just, you know, how, how untrue that can be and the work that really goes behind the scenes. And, you know, we, um, one of our staff bought us a, you know, in the kind of a stereotype, but you know, the whole iceberg uh, painting, the whole iceberg mentality of, you know, what you see versus under the water. And I I love that. Yeah. It's, it's such a classic one, but, um, it's so true. Cause you know, we're really learning what, what's under the water, what doesn't get seen. And I, you know, even as a parent too, I'm kind of seeing the same thing on a, on a different side too of, you know, people see the, the fun side of having kids, but there, there's a, there's a lot of under the water stuff. Yeah. I can't imagine. Yeah. <laughs> I had that discussion. Over there. I was like, dad, how many you know kids do you want? He's like, Oh, min max two. I was like, what do you mean? He's like minimum two, maximum two. And like, you After your sister, I didn't want to have another kid, but uh, your mom convinced me and, and he was like, that's why you're here. But, uh, like you Thanks, said, mom. You know, my, my dad's like one of the most dedicated disciplined people I know. And for him to say that, like, you know, that there's a lot of work that goes into it. And so yeah. I have a lot of admiration for, you know, moms, dads out there that, you know, the amount of sacrifice, amount of time, because kids don't appreciate it until like later in life. I mean, just, you're just too young. And you, you don't understand it. At least for me, I was like, didn't really appreciate all the sacrifice that my parents made until much later. No, yeah. It, it was after my father died that I really really started to gain any appreciation whatsoever for, you know, the multiple jobs he worked and how often he wasn't home and, and why that was the case. And yeah, because it's easy um, to see, like you said, the iceberg thing is a little, it's easier to see the things that like, oh, this is a surface stuff. This is the stuff that I can see here, right. but not all the background work that goes into it. So like you're saying all the multiple jobs, like, well, my dad's not around. It's like, well, he's working, you know, really hard to give you guys a better life. And, and that was the same thing with my parents too. You know, my dad worked really hard and see him too much as a kid. Right. But obviously a good example for you, you know, cause you've ended up with the work ethic that you have. And I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that's at least partially a testament to your parents and your, your upbringing. I hope so. Yeah. I think <laughs> I like to have fun too, but I think some of the work ethic, uh, yeah. just that drive. Well, and I'm glad you bring that up because you know, a big, there has to be a work-life balance, right? I mean, their hard work is, is a necessity, but at some point you bury yourself, you know, in yeah. it, figuratively how you, speaking. How do you draw that line? Like, when do you put pencils down, or is are you just always in work mode? You know, it's it's it, admittedly it's a work in progress for me still. You know, I'm still probably fine tuning where that is. But the biggest step I took was after COVID hit, 
really the first time I got to sit home with my one-year-old at all. Mm. You know, he was when he was born, we were two months away from launching. Wow. So I really, I mean, I, I saw him for overnight stuff. You know, when he woke up in the middle of the night, I did feedings. But really from anytime the sun was up, I never saw him. So when COVID hit was the first time I got to really, I was forced into, into being home. And mm. when it came out, my business partner also has, our, our kids are only two weeks apart. Pure coincidence. We didn't wow, plan all that. You know, we're we're yeah, not yeah, that yeah. good of planners, but um, <laughs> you know. But we looked at each other and we said, "This is we're going to make this a priority. We're not going to go back to what we were doing because we were at the gym from 5 a.m. till 9 p.m. Both of us every day." Jeez. And we said, "We just we we just can't. We just can't." So every Wednesday, I stay home with my kids. That's amazing. And, and it's not that I work zero. You know, it's hard to completely turn it off. Quality time. But, you know. Yeah. 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 So that's one of my big wins. I try to be present when I'm home. Again, it's I'm not I'm far far from successful at it. I would say, but uh, but that's where I'm trying to draw my lines is at least my Wednesdays, and then, you know, stop where I can. But uh, but I'll turn the same question over to you. You know, where where do where does your line start and end? I mean, Kent's you know Kent's like kind of my role model in that. You know, like he works out every day on the weekends. You know, he's, you know, biking, he's hiking, he's climbing, he's like very, very active. And I think for us, we can't preach a lifestyle brand that promotes doing more when all you're doing is like one singular thing and that's work. And I think it's like you said, it's about balance. Like if you're working 15 hours a day, there's no way you're on for 15 hours. No. It's impossible. I don't care who you are. It's just like impossible. Like mm-hmm. you're going to be on focus, laser focus for maybe six, seven, eight hours, and then maybe less focused the, the remaining amount of time. So I think knowing that and being able to capture a period of time where you're, you're more focused and a lot of that comes into exercise. Like I'm sure like, you know, you're in great shape. So you know that when you have a good workout, like even though you're kind of tired and you're sore, you're still going to have more focus than if you kind of roll around and do anything. So I think I'm, I'm guilty of that. I, I, I'm trying to like carve out more time now and, and you know, lifting weights, in between meetings, you know, uh, you know, I have a pull-up bar up in the room, little things like that, and trying to go on longer bike rides on the weekends, and then having that time for myself, like three hours, four hours, to go out for a longer, for a longer period of time, and and just spending time with you know friends and family. I think COVID, in a weird way, I got to see a lot of my closest friends more, you know, after things like for like right now, it's not a good example because it's cases are spiking, but you know, some of my best friends were in San Francisco and then they moved back home in LA with their parents. So, you know, friends I saw maybe once or twice a year, I get to see like every week and I'm having dinner with them in, you know, a couple hours actually. So there is some silver lining where, you know, you get to see loved ones a little bit more. You know, my mom's coming in 10 days from Japan. She's staying till March, which is like really cool. She's staying with my sister. And so just like, like you said, more quality time, like with you having the world, entire world shaken up realizing that you can be home and then every Wednesday you can carve that time to just be present in that and per- your son's life is an incredible thing. It is. Yeah. Are, are you familiar with uh, Tim Ferriss's book, Tools of Titans? I haven't read that. No, I, I know four hour work week and four hour shift. Yeah. So Tools of Titans, it was a collection of you know some of the most successful people from all avenues in the world and their habits. Mm-hmm. So a, a few weeks ago, a good friend of mine was on the podcast and he's a comedian, but we were just talking about the entrepreneurship of, you know, business. And mm-hmm. ad- admittedly, we did an entire episode that was really good and realized that no one hit record. 
so uh <laughs> oh man that's so <laughs> really. so for those that did hear the replay of that uh, this actually didn't make it back and it just you know we we promised we weren't going to try to repeat but in the first version what we did talk about was there's this you know you look at guys like mark Wahlberg and the rock and i think people get hooked on this idea of 4 a.m and the glamour of always working always working always working yeah. always working and that was me most of my career it was just, you, you know, if you work more, good things come out of it. So just the rest of the way, just keep working, keep opportunity. working. Yeah, you're just, yeah, yeah, just keep doing that. And then I read Tim Ferriss's book. And every three to four pages is a new person. So you're you're reading, you know, there's, I think maybe it's 30 some. I might be making that up, but it's, I want to say it's 30 some different stories. I got to get a copy of it. It's, and it's, I mean, it's, it's this big, it's huge. But, but again, they're all separate little mini backgrounds and stories. But the common theme was page after page, Everyone was about how they make time and when they work and when they don't work and when they make time for family. And it was an eye opener for me to read that book of, you know, you, you get caught up in the social media side of what hard work is. But then when you yeah. actually hear from the most successful people in the world, not that they didn't work hard, but they also worked equally hard at making time and making sure family yeah. and friends were a priority. And and that was that was a big eye opener for me to be like, okay, I, I need to emulate that a little better it's than I am. So much- is it like not so much working the number of hours, but just working smarter? Like not necessarily yes. working harder, but working more efficiently. That and saying no. You know, the ability yeah. to say, this is my time. I do not work during this time. I only check emails three times a day. Mm-hmm. I only, you know, mm-hmm. you can't talk to me before 7 a.m. and you can't talk to me after three o'clock. You oh, know, man. stuff like that. Yeah, the first thing I do when I wake up is phone. I'm just like, oh man, like, and it's nonstop. Like, there's no yeah. way. I, there's very few times this year where I got my inbox down to zero. And just like, oh, you know, <laughs> and, that, and sometimes I'm striving for that. I'm like, like huge breath off my shoulder. And then literally like five minutes later, there'll be another email. It's like, it, 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 it's this, it's, you can't chase. It's like, a, you know, a dog trying to chase its tail and yeah. uh, learning that like, okay, I got as much done today. I'll start again tomorrow. And cutting that time off, like you said, is, is really important. Yeah. Assuming I think you'd like the book. It's a really cool read. It's athletes, it's CEOs, so, you know, it's a whole different, you know, um, it's it's like his podcast, but just in a shorter form. But yeah, yeah, it's um, crazy. I always wonder like how the rock balances his time between like film shoots and business opportunities and working out. It's like mind blowing and it's inspiring. But I'm just like, how do you really balance that time? Yeah, it's inspiring. And part of me wants to wants to believe that behind the scenes, though, he's probably making the no time. He just doesn't present it. Which I hope is the case for his sake, but um. Yeah, I mean, he has two young kids too. I think. Yeah, they had two daughters, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm terrible at celebrity anything, but um, <laughs> but, but yeah. So uh, it it was it was it was the eye opener I definitely needed. You know, so so if we can kind of not not backtrack, but you know, people go through negative things. Yeah. Your yours is an extreme, an extreme. People, these listeners that I have might might have gone through what you've gone through. They might have lost a job they never thought they were going to lose. They might be going through a divorce. Yeah. What advice do you give to people who go through whatever the situation is of something that initially, one, they're like, I can't believe this is happening to me. And then two, they go through that period of, I can't live like this or I'm never going to rebound from this. You know, mm-hmm. what's your advice to people who've gone through anything similar to what you have in terms of life-changing elements and, and how to turn it into the life that that you're living now, this optimistic kind of lifestyle? One, I, I want to like, start off by saying like my situation is not any worse than anybody else's. I think it's all relative. So my loss and your loss, it's still a loss at the end of the day. And I think that creates a lot of empathy. So like what you went through with your father, like losing your dad, 
age too young or me losing my ability to walk, like it's still a loss. And I think the no situation is once like I try to think about it as, as relative, like what you go through, it's like it's it's comparative and it's not, you know, it's not one that's worse than the other. You know, everybody goes through that feeling. So for me, not trying to think too far ahead because that can be overwhelming. And like what we were talking about before, it's it's trying to set smaller goals and and day by day goals. And and that's kind of how it helped me build up the confidence that this isn't the end of the world. I can move on from this. There's, you know, maybe a silver lining where things can get better. And I, I think my advice is, you know, talk to people. That really helped me, even though didn't go through what I went through specifically, other people who went through something similar as a loss, or if they haven't, just being able to lend a year, talking to people was, you know, for me, my form of therapy. And and then my internal goals of setting something day by day really was key because when you set something day by day, you look back and then those collection of days actually end up being something something that you're proud of. And so I don't know if that's like a generic answer, but it was kind of the long approach that I, I had that, that worked for me. Yeah, I, I think it's an awesome answer, man. And I think it's I think your story is inspirational, and I and I know a lot of people are going to get a lot out of it. So so on that note, how do how do people find you? What's the best way to learn about you and the company? Yeah, um, I mean, like pretty active on like social media, I guess to some extent, <laughs> but uh, like mostly like LinkedIn for like professional, like you know, I, I love helping people out, like networking. You know, for me, when I connect two people, it's I'm not looking for anything in return. I'm just like if I can put two and two together that like have that have like synergy or a potential like partnership or just are good people that I think would hit it off. I love doing that. And I think if I wasn't doing this, I, I would think I would be a pretty good recruiter <laughs> or like a headhunter. I think I'm just like, I like matchmaking in that way. But like social media is great. And then like our company is getneuro.com, G-E-T-N-E-U-R-O. And, you know, you can find a, a little bit more about our products, what we do, how we started. And yeah, that's very cool. <laughs> very cool. Well, everyone go check out those sites. Uh, all these notes will be on my website and in the show notes. So they'll be able to find them. Ryan, thank you, man. Thank you for being on. Oh, this has been, been super fun. A blast. Yeah. yeah. I will uh, stick around for a second. And for all my listeners, I will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast. Find more episodes like this at www.lifestyleasmedicinepodcast.com and visit www.marhealthandperformance.com and at marhealthandperformance on both Facebook and Instagram for more great content and information about programs. Have a great day and see you next time.